Good morning. Well, today we celebrate the resurrection. Of course, you knew that you came, right? It's been a great weekend, and hopefully you've enjoyed time with family and friends. And is anybody in this room excited about eating a really big meal today? Ain't it going to be great? Hey, I'm going I'm to get you out on time. And they said, really? Uh, amen. There you go. No, we're going to do that. Well, today we're going to be in the Gospel of John. So if you brought a Bible with you, if you turn over to John chapter 11, very familiar story around resurrection time. It's the story of Lazarus. I, I, I love that name, Lazarus. I, you ever notice nobody names their kids Lazarus? I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, I, we have a lot of babies in our church and I'm going to go ahead and prophesy that some of you are going to expect this year from now uh, to the end of the year, you're going, oh, hallelujah, amen, okay. And uh, so, hey, there's a new name for you, Lazarus. See if anybody takes me up on it. I doubt it. Hey, I could have said Ichabod, and you don't want to do that, okay? I like this. This unknown author said, Easter is the only time it's okay to put all your eggs in one basket. <laughs> Isn't that good? You know, some of you have been putting your eggs in a lot of different baskets, and in the stock market, they say, diversify, diversify. How's that working for you? Well, here's one that you can put all your eggs in this basket, and it's a victorious winner champion every time. Charles Colson, the great man of God that uh, started Prison Fellowship, he's, he's dead now. He's in heaven looking, ruling uh, with Christ. But he, he said this, The devil, darkness, and death may swagger and boast, the pangs of life will sting for a while longer, but don't worry. The forces of evil are breathing their last. Not to worry, he's risen. I love the way he said that. And it's because of that blessed hope in the resurrection that we come and that we are not to be pitied, that we're a people that have hope today, eternal, in the heavens. And then we don't have to be like, well, I'm thinking, I'm hoping, I'm choosing, I reckon, maybe we know with certainty. You know, when you think about the, the, the burial of Jesus, he had to get a tomb that was actually borrowed from Joseph of Arimathea. And some people would go, well, why would you do that? You know, kind of a secret follower of Christ. And it was there in the cave of the rock in the tomb. And as I was doing study on this, it's like a lot of times when they would have like these tombs, they would like shelve them. Kind of like you go to Costco and you got shelves, they would just shelve bodies. And we're going to talk about a guy today named Lazarus. But anyway, basically they said, why would you do that? He says, well, uh, you know, I'm just kind of proposing today's vernacular. He says, well, you know, he only needed it for the weekend. He wasn't going to keep it. <laughs> it was just kind of a short-term rental, you know. And, th and that worked pretty well for Jesus because Jesus knew that was not going to be his resting place. It was just a, a short, temporary uh, stop-off. The great writer John MacArthur says that here in the resurrection story is that cosmic, supernatural explosion work of God that this power of God raised Christ, this power of God raised Lazarus, and this power of God even stops decay and, and I think, man, that, that, that's pretty incredible. And, and, and this power of God even created a, a whole new body that tissue began to work again. Blood began to work in the life of Lazarus again. And he came back. And, and I've often thought about Lazarus. As awesome as this story is, and I'm going to preach on it today, John 11. I'm still wondering, Lazarus, like, but I got to go back? They called me back like death wasn't enough. And then he went, and then he came back, and then he went again. But yet he came back for a purpose, and one of the things was to bring great glory to God about the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. You know, this uh, power makes people alive. This power made me alive some 
decades ago when I trusted Christ. It's made you alive. Maybe some of you are new in Christ. Maybe some of you have been walking with the Savior for a long time. Maybe there are people here today that are probably never put their faith in Christ. And our prayer is that today you would consider and you would commit your life to this man, the one that says, I am the resurrection and the life, and I'm going to back it up. I'm going to display my power by doing that. Matter of fact, there's going to be a blazing display of my power when Christ came forth from the tomb. And in this story, when Lazarus came forth the tomb, I, I like what Lazarus mean. It means, God help us. God help us. How many of you are in that category? God help us as a nation. God help America. And the church said, God help me. The boy, yeah, yeah. The boy needs help. The girl needs help. Already this morning, we were in prayer with some people before the service, and we were talking about one particular situation that's pretty dismal, that's pretty dark, that seems to have no hope. But we believe as followers of Christ that the power of Christ can raise dead situations and make them new. See, today some of you came, and you've had the death of a dream. You've had the death of a marriage. You've had the death of something very important to you. You've had the death of a family member this past year. And life is, just seems to be kind of tough. But here it is. It all hangs on this resurrection factor today. A life outside the tomb is what you and I want. We don't want to live inside the tomb. I mean, I've, I've been to Israel, and I've walked inside some of the caves of tombs, and I didn't go, hey, let's stay here. Let's trade the five-star hotel for the tomb. I don't think so. And you're like, man, I don't want to live in the tomb. But the tomb has to take place as part of the story. But life is not intended to, live, to be lived inside the tomb, but outside of the tomb. And that's where resurrection really happens. But it happens there in the tomb. In John eleven four 4, it says, And when you heard this, Jesus said, This sickness is not unto death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. This sickness, not unto death. One time in John 9, I'm going to get to the story in John 11 in a minute, there, there was a man born blind. And they go, well, who is sin? Everybody always wants to know, who sinned? Whose fault is it? And Jesus says, it's not about his mom or dad or him. It's for the glory of God. And see, that's what our lives are about, eventually to give glory and to give honor and to give worth and to elevate him. But let's look at the outline. you got to worship God when you came in. Yours looks a little different than mine, okay? Mine's kind of colored up, so I remember. Verse 6, it's the lingering Jesus. I like that. Jesus lingers around for a while. There's this, these two girls, man, sisters, Mary and Martha, and their brother Lazarus dies. And, and Jesus had stopped off in Bethany and had had dinner and probably stayed there at night. And he was really cared about this couple deeply. And if you look there in John 11, it says, Now a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love, he is sicketh. No, it doesn't say sicketh, probably in the King James, but he's sick. The boy's not doing well. I think the boy's going to die, and, and he did die. And they're just like, man, they're, they're distraught. And, and actually, there, there's this big delay. In four days, he lays in the tomb, and, and Jesus doesn't come for Mary and Martha. He cared about him. He loved Lazarus, but Jesus was lingering around in another village in another community, and it wasn't time. I thought about some of the Gospels. One time, Jesus was at a wedding. Jesus loved parties, and he goes to the wedding, and uh, they, they run out of wine. They're like, man, this is not good. This is a social faux pas. And you've got you to have drinks for the people. And they said, what are we going to do? 
And his mom walked up and said, Jesus, we, we, we need drink. I mean, you know, this party's fixing to break up. And he says these words, my time has not yet come. And here in this situation, it wasn't time for Jesus to show up on the scene for Lazarus. You're saying, oh, I think it was. You just read that Lazarus was sick. He was sick. Sick unto death. Sick unto the glory of God. And he died. And so they're, they're pretty tore up. And you know what? This morning, you might be living between doubts and faith. Can you just write that on your outline somewhere? Doubts and faith. You're, you're one of the two places. You doubt, you're skeptical of the resurrection power. You're skeptical of a God that loves you and calls you by name and died for you. Or you have faith that's solidified and you trust in Christ. Doubt or faith. Doubt is okay. Doubt, I think, sometimes makes us ask questions. Doubt, I find, drives me to study. Doubt drives me to Christ. And hopefully it will for you. In, in the Lamentations, the third chapter, 28 through 30, Eugene Peterson in the message says this. Enter the silence, bow in prayer, don't ask questions, wait for hope to appear, don't run from trouble, take it full face. The worst is never the worst. You're going, the pastor, this is a tough story. Lazarus is sick. No, Lazarus is dead. D-E-A-D. I'm thinking... Man, there's not a lot of partying in the village in Bethany right now. I mean, their, their friends died. It's not looking good. Transformation's not there. And you know what? I, I read this statement. I loved it. Disappointments are a result of unmet expectations. Write that down. Disappointments are a result of unmet expectations. For you and me, this morning, we all have a set of expectations. And some of those are unmet, and we're greatly disappointed, which can lead to discouragement and despair. Certainly, Mary and Martha are disappointed. Lazarus died. Jesus could have spoken the word. Jesus could have prevented that, but he chose not to. It wasn't the time. And yet, I'm thinking, what's your disappointment this morning? What's it doing to you? Is it robbing your faith? There's an expectation that you have. And maybe God's not ready for that. Maybe that's not God's will. Maybe there's things that he's working out, that he's working in people. And we have to hold on. Look at verse 17. He's trapped in the tomb. So we look at uh, 11, uh, chapter 11, but look at verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Now, that's a long time, isn't it? I mean, four days trapped. You know what I find about unmet expectations or about situations in life? Sometimes we feel like we're trapped and we feel like there's no way out. Here it is. Your mate comes to you and says, I want a divorce. They had promised to God and you that they wanted to spend their life with you and now they want out. Well, that's a disappointment. You have the death of a friend. That's a great disappointment. You go to the doctor and your doctor gives you a diagnosis that is not good. They go, you have blank. So many times you've got cancer, you're inoperable, blah, 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 blah. That's not a good verdict. That's not a good word for us. And God wants us to believe. And yet we can just run from the tomb. It seems like a tomb in our life. We feel like things are crashing in on us. We feel like there's no hope. And Mary and Martha, they definitely felt that way. When wars happen in our world, when tsunamis hit, when terrorist attacks, as they've just happened recently in our world, and we go, God, where are you? Friend, 
He's on the throne of heaven. He rules over his universe. He's a sovereign God. How many believe that today? God is not asleep and goes, oops, Brussels, what? I didn't know that was going to happen. He didn't cause that to happen. He allowed that to happen. Evil dictated the hearts of men that were sinful and wicked, and yet this thing, so we embrace the tomb. It's where resurrection happens. 2 Corinthians 1.9. Indeed, we felt we've received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Some of you this morning, you're relying on yourself. And here's what I found about relying on self. I fell. I fall short. I can't go the full distance. I can't meet all the needs of my life. And neither can you. So there's hope here for the believer in Matthew 5, 3. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and his rule. Did you know that's what God wants? God wants less of you and more of him. John 3, 30. He must increase, I must decrease. I pray that this morning when I got up, Lord, I want to decrease. I want people to see the power of the cross. I want them to see the compassion and the love of a Savior. I want the Holy Spirit to come, God, and that he would convict and he would grip and he would change hearts. Look at verse 19. There's a comfort of a friend. Here it is. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. If you know anything about Jewish history, they had professional mourners. Sometimes they hired mourners to come and, ha, 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 ha. I mean, they would wail. Have you ever been to a funeral where it was just uncontrollable? And, oh, and it was deep in the soul and you felt it. And not to just say the people were sad, they hired people to do that. And I'm thinking, help me, Jesus. Resurrection. And then, not just that, because that was pretty tough, and, and they were having a hard time with this, uh, these mourners, but their, their friend's dead, and, and so, you know, they're, they're just weeping, and they're out of control. They're like, man, what's going to happen? It's just hard, man. When, I, I hate to see when people are sad, and so do you. And yet, Jesus brings life out of the dead, because we know the end of the story, but we're not going to get there yet. But you know what I know this morning? The empty tomb means death is not the victor, but Jesus Christ is. Death had not said the last word on Lazarus. Jesus did. And this morning, you're at the end of a dream or something's got you distraught. And Jesus goes, I got the last word. I have the last word. And I never lose those that I have been entrusted to me, those that I keep. Death is not the victor. But things are getting here, are getting worse. And, you know, I'm asking you this today. When God is silent, I think he's getting the answer ready. I found that certainly in my life. I'm walking through a situation right now. I'm asking God for some things, and, and a lot of things he's doing and answering, and other things, it's like he's a little silent. Can you raise your hand today if you've been in a period or in a period where God seems a little absent and a little silent? Just raise your hand. Let's just see. Just hold them up high. Hold them. I just want you to look around. You're going, there's a bunch of people that doubt in this room. Where'd they come from? No, no, that's okay. And God just seems a little quiet. And what happens when God seems a little quiet? I'll tell you what verbose, loquacious, talkative, over-the-top people do. I fill in the blanks for God. And he don't need my help. And some of you, you're like, I just get real quiet and I listen. That's the right answer. And some of you are like, I don't know, I'm somewhere in between. Oh, do you think Mary and Martha, I mean, do you think they were ticked off? You know, some commentaries that go, oh man, they were like, Jesus, where were you? Had you been here, Lazarus would not stinketh. That's later. He's like, he's bad odor. Lazarus wouldn't have died. But another part would have been, well, Jesus, why, why didn't you show up? 
Lord, why didn't you come? And Jesus says, it's just not his time. So it's not a word of reproach to her. Look at verse 25. Uh, this, this verse right here, preachers love this verse because our foundation of our Christian faith, Christology, is built on this. Verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, and he who believes in me will live, live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? I am the resurrection and the life. And I read that, and I get so excited every time I read it, every time I pray it. And Jesus is the only one of all religions, and this is not religion, this is relationship. Jesus says, I am resurrection. I am power. I am grace. I am God. And then I got to thinking about well, if he's, I am the resurrection, i got to give you the other I am's. And right in the middle of your page, I left you room to write. So you that never write, do me a favor today. Get out a pen right now. Take a pen from the person next to you. Go, I'm going to use it now. I want you to write down some scriptures. See, you're saying, but pastor, I like it when you make it easy and you put all the verses on the screen so I don't have to bring my Bible. I do this on purpose. I want you to bring your Bible. You're saying, well, I brought my phone. We'll pull out your phone. Don't text lunch. Don't do that. Just write. Here you go. John 6, 35. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. I love that one. John 10, 9. I am the gate. And that's how we enter. John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd. Oh, he's a shepherd for our soul. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And John 15, 5, I am the vine. In this verse, John eleven twenty five, 25, I am, finish it, I am. Whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. Resurrection's a theme, that's the key. I am. Okay, this section, y'all get to go home early. The rest of you are staying for extra homework. I didn't hear. Okay. I am the resurrection and the life. Man, guys, this is it. I tell people, man, in the Super Bowl today, preachers love Easter. This is like the crowning day. It's the biggest day, biggest attendance. People are nice. People dress good. You eat big. Life is good. You've had too much sugar this weekend. Ah, okay, all right. Verse 26. Look at the message question. The end of that says, but do you believe this? I'm the resurrection and the life. And that's the question I just want to pose today. Do you believe all this? No. I'm a doubter. I'm a skeptic. I'm angry. God didn't come through, but he did, friend. What I think the story of Lazarus just tells me, I need a Savior. And so do you. His name is Jesus. So you move through here, verse 27, Martha's confession. What does she say to us? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world, basically to save sinners. He knows who Jesus is. She knows. And she makes a, a, a public declaration. That's what it is. We all need to make declarations in our life. When you get married, you go, I declare my love for you, and we are married. I declare this. I declare allegiance to whatever. Here, do you declare your allegiance to Christ? Here's a declaration of hope, a resting place for believers, for us this morning. And then moving down here, verse 28. After she had said this, she went back, called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. And when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still 
at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn. In Jewish ancient history, and even today, the Jewish people know about mourning. Jesus was a Jew. And Jesus mourns. And we'll see that in a minute. But let's, let's move down here. Oh, let's just jump there quickly. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her, also the weeping party, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. Where have you laid him? And asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus wept profoundly, deeply anguished in his soul because he knew the power of death. And he was hurting for his friends. He had deep compassion for them. Verse 35, that's it. The compassion of Jesus is evident. The compassion of Jesus is expressed. And you know what? Sometimes we just let the silence of God cause us to drift off and we doubt in the darkness. And somebody once said, don't ever doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. And Christ says, I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. And I don't care how dark this world gets, how dark your situation gets, Jesus is above all things. We have no one else on whom to hold and grip with than the hand of the blessed Savior. I love it. Last night, you're going to laugh, I started a contemporary church with my wife 20 years ago, the first truly contemporary, or a lot of blended in our city. And one thing that I, most people don't know about me, I have some southern gospel roots from my dad. Now, we don't do southern gospel here. Sorry if that's your son. And last night, I studied and studied. I just had a moment because I just love the songs of praise and worship. But I just wanted to have a Bill Gaither moment. Now, some of you just got excited. Some of you just went, oh, glory, help him, Jesus. And my wife walked in the room. She goes, what are you doing, baby? I said, me and Bill or just having some tunes, and I'm just watching a little Bill Gaither moment. And as much as I love that song that Jeff and the team, death was arrested, it don't get any better than that. Oh, but it does. We're going to sing a song in a little bit called Resurrecting, and you're just going to want to go through the roof and say, God, I'm going home. But last night, I sat in the chair, and I, and I was watching a basketball game, and I was going back and forth. You're going, you're sick. And, and, and I was watching some of Bill, and just some of those soul songs. One reason I do that, because it connects me with my dad. My dad introduced me to Southern Gospel. Here's what I heard as a little boy. I was raised in a non-Christian home, but every Sunday morning, this was the sound that I woke up to. <clears throat> Jubilee! Jubilee! And I go, ah, Dad, Dad, no. So I was so glad I didn't do that to my kids. And I just did it to y'all. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. It just wasn't pleasant. The silence of God, compassion of Jesus. You know, I just want you to tell you, these tears of Jesus, they weren't like polite tears. You know what polite tears are? Like, just, just a little moist. My, my eyes, just a little tear. Like when I'm watching a Hallmark commercial, I get a little, you know, just a little. I do. I, 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 y'all, I watch stuff, I don't even know them, and I cry. I can, I, you know, you're saying, cry, baby. Well, you know, maybe so. Okay, I'm glad Jesus made me that way. I feel things deeply. Jesus wept. Here, move on down here. Verse 39. I love what Scripture says here to us. Take away the stone. There was a stone right there at the cave at the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, and it held Lazarus in, and 
he tells them to remove the stone. Now, it's kind of an interesting thing when you, when you read that. He's like, take away the stone. Okay, like, what? Like, like if you're going to call forth the dead, Jesus, can't you move the stone? He could have crushed the stone. He could have obliterated the stone. Jesus could have done anything he wanted with the stone. But you know what I love? It's a point that I want to make this morning. Embracing community. Jesus chooses to use you and I as witnesses of his son. And Jesus calls us to community of faith with other believers to gather. And people are gathering all across the world today to sing praise and to worship and hear the word of the living Christ. But to embrace community. And here he embraces them and they have to help and they remove the stone. I don't know how heavy the stone was. I'm sure it was tough. And then it says, but Lord said, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor for he has been there four days. She didn't say, now Jesus, I'm going down to get a, a case of Febreze and I'll be back. See, we know about Febreze in the church. We, we've had little creatures crawl in our building here. And uh, we had this animal a few years ago crawled up front, and he died. And we came in and said, behold, it stinketh bad. And not long ago, we had a cat getting there, and some stuff happened. And it, I came in here one Saturday to do something, and, or Friday, and, man, the odor was just repulsive. And I said, people are going to walk in the door and walk right back out the other door. It is gross. I went down to Walmart, and I was just loading my buggy with Febreze. And, and that morning, I was dying. People were coming in. Pastor, it smells so clean and fresh in here. And I wanted to go, you should have been here Friday. It, it was death. Oh, here, do you, do you think, man, when bodies decompose, they stink. They didn't embalm people like we do today. They didn't have the chemicals. They used spices and stuff. So it was a whole different way of how they did it. Also, he lays in there for four days. In Jewish tradition, they used to say when a person died, his spirit floated around the body for four days. And after four days, it departed. So that was really special to them. But this embracing of the community was so important. And here, here's a thought. There's the stench of transformation. When Jesus transforms us, sometimes it stinks. I preached one time about spirituality being messy. I remember Mike Iaconelli did a message on that one time. And let me tell you, when Jesus begins to change a life and transform a life, sometimes it gets a little messy. And the church said, you know, people start sharing this stuff and this sin. And sometimes it's a little repulsive and sometimes a little uncomfortable. And sometimes when people from the outside and they hadn't been sanctified and they had been growing in Christ long and, and, and they'll, they'll just say things you wish they wouldn't say and you're like, okay, well, we'll sanitize you in a little bit. And, uh, and, but it's okay. This needs to be a safe place and it needs to be the process of what God's doing here. And I go, Lord, I'm grateful for that. But bad odor, dead things smell. Have, have you ever, you, I remember one time we went on vacation and we came home and, and the freezer died in the garage and Something about me and odors. And, and I walked in, and our garage, it, oh, oh, putrid. And scrubbed the concrete multiple times with bleach, just trying to get out of the pores of the concrete. You know what I'm saying? That's what death does. When things die, they just stink. And sometimes we just have to say, God, I have a stench of, of arrogance, of pride, of abuse, of envy of jealousy, of lust, or whatever. And God says, that stinks, that's repulsive to me. My, my son died for that. 
So spirituality is messy. I, I read this article by Stephen Smith or this book, and I love what he says. Shouldn't we have small groups like this? Listen to this. Now, we don't have any like this. Maybe we will. But listen to this. Would this not be cool? You're like, I'm not telling anybody, but I'm going to that church. Workaholics, Thursday at 530. Oh, anything that's funny. Turn to your spouse and say, am I a workaholic? No, don't do that. Okay. Parents who get too angry with their kids. That'd be a cool small group. How about this one? Children with messed up parents. That would be a huge one. Okay. Here's one. Women who've had an abortion. Men struggling with a heterosexual life. Men addicted to porn. Teenagers who don't believe in God. I just got to thinking if we put some of those titles in our worship guide and go, these are the groups we have at our church. We're dysfunctional, messed up, redeemed people by the blood of Jesus. And people would go, I'd go to church like that. It's called AA. <laughs> How they help people through addictions. And they, they do a claim to a higher power. But let me tell you who that higher power is today. It's the one who was raised from the dead. His name is Jesus. And he wants to break addictions. And there's, there's addictions. Every, every time I talk to people, I'm like, man, I'm addicted. I'm addicted. It's ruining my life. It stinks. It's a stench of transformation. But in verse 43, let's go there because this, this is so good. you you, you got to see this. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And, and I've read that so many times. And it's, it doesn't go. And in a quiet Jesus could have whispered, and he would have come out of the grave. He said it loud, and I've often wondered why. One reason I think he said it loud, he wanted everybody to hear. He wanted people that had gathered in that village that were those mourners and all those people who were messed up, he wanted them to hear about his power when he called him forth. And that's the hope. It was, it was a personal call. Did you notice he said, dead, come forth? He didn't say that. He said, Lazarus, had Jesus just said, dead, come forth. Man, we'd have had a rapture right then. There would have been just people all coming out of the grave. It would have been crazy. But he said, Lazarus, you come forth. And do you know where the first bunny hop came from? Right there. And you're saying, now you're trying to be cute. No, I'm not. The Bible says that he was wrapped in linen. Some scholars say that it was 100 pounds worth of linen that tied around him. Now, Jesus called him from death to life, and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And I bet Lazarus was doing a bunny hop. I can't believe I just did that. Okay. And he hopped out of the grave. And we kind of laugh. We're going, man, that's kind of cool. Now, we get all excited about the Easter bunny. Let's get excited about Lazarus, okay? It was a precise call. He said, come forth. He didn't go, hey, sit down, come out. It was a powerful call. He'd broken in on death. He had conquered death. He called this guy forward. I, I get so excited. John 4, 5, 24. It's going to come up on the screen. This voice. I tell you the truth, those who listen, that's the key word, to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. And I assure you that the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. When the dead will hear my, hear my, the voice of the Son of God. Now, that's, that's a great passage, isn't it? One day, 
Jesus is going to speak like that. And we're going to hear the voice of the Messiah, of the risen Christ. And he's going to call us forth, and we're going to be caught up with him in a cloud. I'm going, man, that is going to be awesome. You're going, well, you know, we never seen anything like that. You're exactly right. So here it is. Fill it in. Verse 43, the voice of love. Did you get that? The voice of love. And then verse 44, I want you to see this. They're stepping toward life. What does Lazarus do? He steps toward Jesus. He moves toward Christ. And it's the thing that we ought to be doing this morning. Is to saying, Lord, you're, you're the high power, Lord. You're, you're, you're the, the passion of life, Lord. I want to step towards you. And that's what I'm asking you this morning. Would you step toward Christ? Would you take a step of faith this morning? The message question, do you believe this? Oh, I believe he's the son of the living God. To begin a relationship with him today. In verse 44, he says, remove the grave clothes. Take off these grave clothes. I've reversed death. I'm more powerful. I've rolled away. Don't give up on God, no matter the circumstances. This morning, some of you have just simply come to a point, you've given up, and today the resurrection says, don't give up. I hold the keys to life. I've overcome death. I've overcome your addiction. I've overcome your mess. Don't give up. And some of you are, oh man, I need that word, that special relationship with Christ. And, and he takes it to the Lord in prayer. And like, God, I just want to glorify you, Lord. I want to move toward you. I want to, I want to have a heart after you, King Jesus. I want, to, I want to believe the great promise of faith. And when Jesus speaks, even corpse listen. Even the dead listen. Because he's the thunder of heaven. Jesus was great at stopping coffins. Write down Luke 7, 11 through 15. He entered a village, a certain village called Nain. And in Nain, he ran headlong into a funeral procession one day. Pallbearers were carrying the corpse of a little boy. And Jesus looked with pity at the boy's mother and told her, Woman, stop weeping. Now, who in their right mind tells a grieving mama to stop it? Jesus. And the Bible gives an account. Jesus says, young man, arise. And the boy bolted up off his stretcher and he was alive. I think that's a pretty cool story. Another one, there was a, 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 somebody, Jairus, his dead daughter. Little girl, arise in Luke 8.55. And then the spirit returned and she arose immediately. And he commanded that she would be given something to eat. So here's these, but in these two accounts, these people are not stinketh. They have not been dead for days. But they're dead. And Jesus calls them alive to life. There's a resurrection in those two. And then we talked today about Lazarus, and he's called forth. There's a third resurrection. Resurrection stories, if you just read your scriptures, you'll see them. But the ultimate resurrection is the resurrection of the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that's what brings us today in unprecedented magnitude to magnify the Savior in this place. Is that Jesus is alive. Death was arrested. He was resurrected. You know, I just get so excited about that. So he comes forth from the tomb. But I, but I want you to hear this. In one account in one of the Gospels, it said that he had folded the napkin that was laid over his face. Over his face. And you, you, you hear that and you're like, what? The, 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 the napkin? Listen to this. It's kind of unusual. It's, it's just write down John chapter 20, verse 7, and you'll see this story. And this napkin is placed over the face of Jesus. 
And the Bible takes an entire verse to tell us that the napkin was neatly folded and it was placed at the head of the coffin. And early that Sunday morning, what was still dark, Mary came to the tomb to find that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. And she ran and she found Simon Peter and then other disciple whom Jesus loved, says the Scriptures. She says, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and I don't know where they put him. And Peter and the other disciple ran in, John, to see, and the other disciple ran out and got there first. And he stopped and he looked in and he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he didn't go in. And then Simon Peter arrived and went inside and he looked and noticed the linen wrappings were there, while the cloth that covered the face of Jesus was all folded up, nice and neat. And you're saying, well, what's important about that? Is that really significant? And as I was studying, it was interesting to understand the significance of the folded napkin. You have to know a little bit of Hebrew tradition of the day. The folded napkin meant to the master and to the servant that every Jewish boy knew about this tradition. And when the servant set the table for his master, he made sure that it was exactly the way the master wanted it. Until the master had finished eating, the servant would not dare touch the table until the master was finished. And if the master was done eating, he would rise from the table, wipe his fingers in his mouth, and clean his beard. And he would wide up the napkin, and he would throw it on the table or on the floor. Then the servant would know, I can clear the table. The wadded napkin meant, I'm done. I'm finished. But in this case, there's a folded napkin over the face of Jesus. The folded napkin simply indicated one thing. I'm coming back. And this morning, Jesus Christ bids to you and me, I am coming back. I am not finished. He's coming back for his bride, the glorious church of Jesus Christ. Are you a part of his bride. Are you in Christ today? The conclusion is man's greatest enemy is death. But Jesus slayed death. And man's greatest friend is Jesus Christ. This morning, will you trust that Savior? Would you bow your heads with me today? Lord, I believe that you are here in this place by the power of Jesus, the presence of Christ, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that you're working conviction even right now in hearts and you're drawing people to yourself. Lord, I'm trusting that you're knocking on the doors of hearts and you're inviting people to invite you in to have a relationship with you today. And maybe you'd say today, I have a relationship with Christ. That is awesome. We celebrate that with you. And you might say today, I need to begin a relationship with Jesus today. I want to open my heart to the Savior. I want to invite him in I want the power of Christ to dwell in me. In Mark, the 8th chapter, the 34th through the 35th verse, the message says it this way. Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat. I am. That's Jesus speaking. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way to saving yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? What could you ever trade for your soul? Another translation says, what would it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose, forfeit his soul? 
this morning I'm inviting you not to forfeit, but to trust. To trust completely all that you have, that you would pin all your faith, all your hope, and all your dream, dreams on the risen Christ. Pray with me now. Lord Jesus, I hear this message and I'm convicted and I know I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Have mercy on me. I open my heart. Come and invade my heart this morning. Save my soul. I give you my heart, Jesus Christ. Would you be my Lord and Master? I receive you now by faith. I believe the gospel story. I believe in my heart that you were raised from the dead, and I confess with my mouth, Jesus Christ is Lord. With heads bowed across this room, would you raise hands across this living room of making a declaration that Jesus Christ is Lord? Did any people pray that prayer this morning? Raise your hands high. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yes, amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Declaring that Jesus Christ is the hope of your life. I'll be in the back of the room if you want to talk about this relationship with Christ. You've begun a step of faith today. Lord Jesus, glorify your name. Church, stand to your feet. And I want you to sing a song that we did Friday night that uh, is incredible. You don't want to leave. This is as strong, I think it's stronger than the Hallelujah Chorus. Oh, it is powerful. Jeff, lead us in this great song of faith.